Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Here's the Catch podcast back to you from Radio Row at the Super Bowl. David Lombardi alongside Matt Barrows. No Dennis Brown this time, but uh, we have a very special guest, Aaron Schatz, who founded Football Outsiders, which is, I think, the best football analytics website out there. So, Aaron, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me on. This is the uh, We're coming to the end of Radio Row week, man. I'm ready to play this game. Yeah, I think everybody's uh, champing at the bit to have this thing played. Finally. Exactly. Yeah, I know we've been looking through all the numbers right now for two weeks. I guess, though, we have to regurgitate this a couple more times. What What's your favorite number up on Football Outsiders, or what's your, what's your edge on this game? If you had a point at one, uh, what would it be? Well, it's tough because overall, the overall numbers, I think, point to Kansas City as a slight favorite, but the matchups really kind of favor San Francisco, the individual matchups. I think the, the running numbers that I ended up sending to you over Twitter, the more you look at them, the more they stand out, especially when people start doing film breakdowns of how the San Francisco running game works. The fact that they've been the number one running game in the league since week 12, that they took such a big dip, specifically when Kittle and or Juszczyk were hurt. And, of course, also they were missing... Uh, McGlinchey and Staley during some Mm -hmm. of those weeks as well, right? But since week 12, they've been so good. And when you combine that with the fact that Kansas City has slow linebackers, right, it really sort of spells trouble because, you know, analytics is always like passing, passing, passing. But it's not because running is in and of itself bad. It's because running is normally only getting you four yards a carry. If you're getting six yards a carry, running is pretty good. And if San Francisco can do that against Kansas City, they're going to be dominating on offense. So... It begs the question, why is Kansas City the the slight favorite in this game? Because in general, the passing game is still the most important. It's still the most predictable. And the extremes of passing, um, I'll give you an example. The extremes of passing are still stronger than the extremes of running the ball. San Francisco, when they used 21 personnel, right, that's used check in the game, they were something like 11.5% in DVOA running the ball. They were like 48% positive passing the ball. So even when use checks in the game, which you think is a series, right. like mostly as a running is a running uh, formation, running personnel, they're more efficient passing the ball than they are running the ball. And the most efficient passing game in the league is Kansas City's. And so if that is sort of the overall, when you combine that with the fact that uh, San Francisco's defense regressed a little bit in the second half of the year, while Kansas City's defense improved a little bit and their offense improved a little bit once you take the Matt Moore games out. Um, we end up with Kansas City a little bit higher in the overall numbers. But, I mean, it's really close. The line, the one-point line is yeah. pretty close to what I think it should be. Does a robust running game for the 49ers rob the, the, the Chiefs of their passing game at all? Because you would have the, the ball control. The, the ball wouldn't be in, the, in Mahomes' hands quite as much if the other team is. I mean, I don't think so because I've never been a big believer. The, here's the thing about running the ball a lot to, to have fewer drives in a game. It's not that it's good to keep the ball out of the other team's hands because it's still you get a drive, they get a drive. You're also keeping the ball out of your own hands, right? But when you shorten the game like that by having fewer drives, you increase the possibility of a random bounce of the ball, a random turnover, a random great play influencing the game. So usually that's why teams that are underdogs want to shorten the game like that. Mm -hmm. But San Francisco, I mean, they're an underdog, but they're not really an underdog. Yeah. So I don't see any reason for them to particularly need 
to shorten the game like that? I mean, the reason they want to run is because they're going to get yardage running. It, here's my question. If you just look at the raw DVOA and you look at the matchups in this game, so you're going to see the Chiefs offense against the 49ers defense, that's the marquee one, right? And that's two top five units against each other. But, the, you know, on paper, it's the other matchup. It's the Chiefs defense against the 49ers offense where it seems to be at least – according to DVOA, that there's the biggest mismatch in this game, right? Yeah, well, the, well, according to rank, according to the rating, the Kansas City offense, if you look at the weighted ratings that wait towards the end of the season and include the playoffs, the advantage that the Kansas City offense has over the San Francisco defense is a, is a little bit more than the advantage that the really? San Francisco offense has over the Kansas City defense. But when you look at ranks, the San Francisco offense was like 7th or something. Kansas City defense is like 14th. Yeah. So, yeah, there you have the biggest gap. And I think that we're, I think we're sleeping a little bit on Jimmy G. I've, I've, a lot of people have talked about, you know, if, can Jimmy G win it if Kansas City is able to stop the run and put it in Jimmy G's hands? Won't you know? Doesn't he occasionally throw a really bad interception? Okay, yeah, occasionally he throws a really bad interception. Does he do it more often than Mahomes does? Yeah. Does he do it like he's Jameis Winston? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and San Francisco had the number one offense this year when losing by more than a touchdown. So even if they fall behind, I don't think it's like, well, their game is running, so if they fall behind, then they're completely out of the kind of game script they want to play. I mean, yes, they're out of the kind of game script they want to play, but I think they can still come back. They still have a pretty darn good passing game if they need to use that passing game. They didn't in the last game, but in most games they do need to use that passing game. You mentioned that the defense, uh, the 49ers defense, starting to taper off a little bit in the second half of the season. Did that, I would imagine that started to come back up in these last two playoff games. Right, I mean, in the first six quarters. I mean, obviously the defense gave up a lot of points to Green Bay in the second half and yeah. a lot of yardage to Green Bay in the second half of that, of that game. So there's a little bit of an asterisk on their rating because, you know, yes, that game was pretty much decided. You know, I mean, we still, we still count the numbers when – when even when right. a team has a big lead, because you never know when you're going to end up with a 28 to three type situation. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah those, those count. <laughs> like you can't you can't take your foot off the gas pedal, right? But um, but yeah, obviously the defense against Minnesota was phenomenal. That was like their second best game of the year. So there is something to the idea that you know perhaps some of the decline in the defense in the second half of the year was not statistical regression. It was missing certain players, right. and those players. I mean, people talk a lot D Ford, but timing-wise, particularly Quan Alexander, are back now. Right. Yeah, B both D and Quan, and, and they didn't really overlap uh, exactly. Quan was hurt a little bit before, and then D also, his injury coincided or was around the time when they lost edge rushers uh, that backed him up. So you had Demontre Moore go down, you had Ronald right. Blair go down, and it got to the point where they had a guy who they don't like on the edge at all in Solomon Thomas. They'd rather have him be more of an inside pass rusher on later downs, having to play that edge spot. And I think, you know, the cool thing about these numbers is that we can see these trends. You could see when the 49ers dipped, and then you could compare them with the film, right? right. How, 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 you know, you've been doing this since when, 2003, you said? Yeah, I've yeah. been doing this a long time. So now that I feel that analytics and the embrace of analytics is on the rise within the NFL, is it rewarding to see your numbers out there uh, you know, being compared and being used to validate certain film. And, and you know, I, I think that when you go on social media now, it's, it seems to be a lot bigger part of the football conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's a real kick. DVOA is my baby. I'm the one who created it. I'm the one who makes it happen every week. And, and to see it quoted places, whether it's in the media or even by NFL personnel, is just uh, 
a real kick. It's fantastic. I love that what I, I do has become really big. Obviously, it's allowed me to have a career for 17 years doing something that I never would have imagined I could have a career doing. Um, the, the expansion of the charting and doing analytics based on charting has been phenomenal. Now, it's a little tough because we don't actually do charting ourselves, but we have great charting partners in Sports Info Solutions. So we take their data and then we create more advanced statistics off of that. And then that goes with what I call the mathy stuff. You've got your charting-y stuff and your mathy stuff. DVOA is like take the standard play-by-play -play and mess with that. That's your mathy stuff. And stuff like you know charting pressures, uh, charting coverage, stuff that they're doing with the NFL next-gen stats, that's your charting stuff. For the DVOA, just because I think some of our listeners probably need to catch up on it, defense-adjusted value over average, it you know originated. You, you obviously you made the formula, tweaked it, did everything you could. I know in your explanation on Football Outsiders, it started with a book, the hidden game of, of hidden football. Game of Can you football. explain the the formula just briefly so some of our listeners will understand? Yeah, the basic idea is that success on a play is based by, on the down and distance. That yardage is not made the same in every play. That three yards on a third and one is different than three yards on a first and ten. So we judge each play success points based on that. You get additional success points if you get extra yardage. You get fewer, you know, negative if you have a turnover or if you lose yardage. Then we compare the success on every play with a baseline that's based on average NFL performance, that's based on the down and distance and situation, and then adjusted for the opponent. Awesome. Did you get it, Matt? I did. <laughs> I did. I, I do hope that there's not a, a quiz at the end of this, uh, of this talk. Go ahead. I was going to say, the thing about the analytics world is we all have our own stats and we all have our own acronyms. But what's most important is to understand the basic ideas behind analytics, which are uh, analyzing every play rather than just the highlights that stick in our memories. The passing is more efficient than right. rushing. The importance of aggressiveness on fourth downs. Um, you know, decisions, making economic, efficiently economic decisions when it comes to your salary cap in the offseason. Uh, it's the lessons of analytics that I think are more important to spread than whether, you know, my particular acronym or PFF's particular acronym gets spread wider, you know? I had a question about interceptions, and Richard Sherman made the, the Pro Bowl this year, um, second-team All-Pro. He had three interceptions. Uh, no 49er safety had an inter interception this year. Is that something that you're seeing league-wide? Are, are, have interceptions gone down over time just overall? Yes. Yes. Is there a, a reason for that? What, what, how do you explain it? Some of it is quarterbacks are just throwing safer passes uh, unless they're Jameis Winston. <laughs> <laughs> how many do you throw that's, this that's year? That's where one of those picks. Uh, okay, Jameis Winston threw 30 picks this year. Wow. And then, uh, Tom Bessinger from the Tom, uh, Tampa Bay Times actually had me go and look at some early numbers that we chart through uh, Sports Info Solutions. We chart dropped interceptions. Winston led the league in dropped interceptions, too. He wow. had 15 drops. So between 45 picks? Yeah, I mean, we'll end up finding <laughs> a couple of his picks that were dropped by receivers. So when we do our adjusted interception numbers, we'll, we, we don't credit him for that because if the receivers screw it up like oh, that. Off their hands but into he, the defender. He's probably yeah. going to end up with something like 43 or 44 adjusted interceptions, which is way bigger than any any season we've ever seen. And he was true boomer bust, right? Because his yards per attempt he were, were pretty high. He led the in passing yards, yeah. Yeah, so it was all or nothing for They, James they were Winston. having to come back from all the uh, the interceptions that he threw early in the game. I mean, that that's that was what happened in the in the uh, week one he with the 49ers. threw two pick sixes in that two game. Pick sixes yeah. Yeah. In that he game. dug his own holes, and then he tried to climb out of them. Right. It was pretty remarkable. Well, uh, what about the profile on Jimmy Garoppolo? Obviously, 
he's good in a lot of numbers. But then, for example, a lot of people point to QBR, which I know you guys have on your site, but that's ESPNs, right? Right. And nobody's really sure, or I'm not sure what goes into QBR, but I've been told that he ranks a little bit lower because he doesn't throw the ball as far down the field. That's right. One of the elements of ESPN's QBR is how many air yards versus yards after the catch with the idea that receivers are much more, de- uh, that the yards after the catch are much more dependent on the receiver skill and the air yards are much more dependent on the quarterback skill. So quarterbacks that are just heavily dependent on yards after the catch, like David Carr, like, uh, let's sorry, Derek Carr, like Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, like even Drew Brees, are lowered a little bit in QBR, and I think that's why he comes uh, down a little bit in QBR. It's not that he can't pass deep. It's that he needs the situation to be really, really strong for him to pass deep. He actually was second in the league in DVOA on deep passes, yeah. which the league in their official play-by-play defines as 16 or more yards downfield. But he only threw like half as many of those passes as someone like Patrick Mahomes. So... They're very heavily, those deep passes are very heavily targeted to specific shots, and they're very heavily targeted to, like, play action. But when he did throw them this year, he was very successful. I imagine there were a lot of plays in which he threw the ball short of that, that yardage, and his receivers well, he had broke like a tackle and, and got down the field. I think he had the second lowest. It depends on how many quarterbacks you count. Do you count one New Orleans quarterback or two New Orleans quarterbacks? Depending right. on how many you with count, Bridgewater, yeah. either with the second lowest or the third lowest average depth of target. But, yeah, San Francisco led the lead in yards after the catch. And Kansas City was pretty uh, high up in um, how many yards after the catch they allowed. In other words, they ranked low as a defense in allowing yards after uh, the I was going to ask you that. I mean, the, the Kansas City uh, defense isn't known for its linebacking crew. Right. I mean, does that show up in the, in the statistics, like, l- like you just noted, like yards after the catch given up? A little bit, a little bit. Not necessarily. I think that shows up in the run rather than the pass because the way they play the pass, they were actually one of the top five teams in DVOA against tight ends. Okay. Yeah, uh, but that. primarily they had safeties covering tight ends. Now, one of those safeties is no longer healthy, which is Juan Thornhill. Yeah. But it was mostly like Daniel Sorensen, Tyron Matthew, and Juan Thornhill covering tight ends. It wasn't their linebackers that... They, they also allowed more, an a, more than average number of passes to tight ends. So even though they were efficient against tight ends, you know, opposing quarterbacks still found their tight ends more often. So, I, I mean, obviously Kittle and Kelsey are a huge part of this game. Both of these defenses are really strong against tight ends, but these are probably the two best tight ends in the league. And George Kittle is often lining, out, lining up as an outside wide receiver. I, I don't think he's the standard tight end, right? Neither Has of he them changed? Are. Yeah, have, they probably changed the way that this might have to be tracked, right? Well, you'll end up like, with when, when, the rece- when the tight end is in the slot, sometimes you'll end up with a cornerback on him like a Chavarius Ward. Yeah. I have, I have to play devil's advocate with the one Jimmy Garoppolo point, or, or this is more of a question, it is, you know, we saw guys like Joe Montana play with a lot of short passes as well, and I think that part of the difficulty of their job in combination with the play caller, was the precision on those short passes. And I feel, just personally, that QBR doesn't reward a quarterback like Drew Brees or Jimmy Garoppolo for the quick release, quick throw stuff that I think is a little bit harder than uh, a lot of people give it credit for. Is there a stat that better you know, accounts for the strengths of guys like Garoppolo and Brees? I mean, it's, I mean if, you, if you count all their yardage in a stat that counts all their yardage, like DVOA does, then, that's, then you're not you're better. criticizing them for their yards after the catch. But, I mean, Brian Burke has done a lot of work on that. He's the guy who's sort of the brains behind ESPN QBR. So 
if there was ever someone you wanted to debate about the whole question of whether quarterbacks are dependent, uh, uh, sorry, quarterbacks are responsible for their own yards after the catch, he is the guy. Awesome. Well, we'll have to talk with him yeah. about that after this Super Bowl. What do you think is going to happen? I know that your model has the Chiefs as slight favorites, but obviously that's just the math. I'm sure you have a gut feeling about the game to combine with that. Do you have I a mean, prediction for Sunday? What I said about Twitter is my feeling of the Chiefs as favorite gets shakier and shakier the more I read about the sort of film behind the the analytics of the San Francisco running game and how good it is versus the weaknesses of the Kansas City defense. I'm still favoring Kansas City a little bit, but um, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think I think in the end, as while the San Francisco defense is good, I think that the Kansas City offense, especially with the speed, they're going to find a way to make big plays. One of the weaknesses I found in the San Francisco defense is that they actually allow the highest yards after catch on deep passes of any defense in the league, and oh, actually wow. by a like extreme amount. They're at like 10.4, and the next worst defense on, this is passes of 16 or more yards in the air, is like 7.1. Wow. So, if you know, obviously a lot of those, those zone coverages are designed to keep guys in front of you if you get behind right. their guys. No. And that's a, not a good weakness to have against Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman. On the other hand, I think that that you know we're going to talk so much about Mahomes and how explosive that offense is that we're going to sit on the fact that the San Francisco offense just has some serious advantages over the Kansas City defense, um, especially if Thornhill was a big part of covering tight ends. Now there's no Thornhill. Does that mean Kittle kind of goes off, which means they have now an accompaniment to the running game? Um, also, I would look for the, the end arounds and reverses. You know they like to run with Debo Samuel. Uh, I can't tell you how Kansas City is going to face those because Kansas City only faced six runs by wide receivers all year, oh. whereas San Francisco had more runs by wide receiver or tight end than any other. Yeah, it's like it seems like a great game. way to take uh, advantage of those linebackers. Right, and, and, and reverse what, what they can't do. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that playbook's going to be wide open this week because, A, they haven't shown a lot of the passing stuff over the last two weeks, but they have an extra week now too. So uh, it's the Super Bowl. It's Game 7 of the World Series. The whole pitching staff is available in Game 7 of the World Series. The whole playbook is, is available here, so I'm sure that y you guys will be busy tracking all and of And these this. are two phenomenal play callers, obviously, Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan. To have each of them an extra week to design offense against the, the other one is going to be is going to be very dangerous, and there's probably going to be a lot of interesting wrinkles in there of what, you know, teams doing what the other team doesn't, doesn't expect, but... I mean, it's just I think San Francisco's offense is just a little is a little underrated. And that's what's going to keep this game close. But in the end, I still kind of feel like the Kansas City offense is just just a little bit better and that that's that's going to that's going to win out more likely. But it's a really close one. We've actually been very lucky these last few years. We've had a lot of very close Super Bowls, games that looked close going in, games that were close yep. when they were actually played. And that's, you know, God, I grew up with the NFC beating the AFC by 40 points every year. 11 this is straight a lot better. years, right? This is yeah. a lot more fun this way. Yeah, I think Aaron's saying pick the over uh, on this game. I'm definitely. But then again, I said pick the over last year, and that proved to be ridiculously wrong. <laughs> the Patriots defense <laughs> never figured out Jared Goff. I, I've heard that they, Belichick decided to wait until after 50, the 15 seconds were left on the yeah. play clock to, to send in the defensive defensive signal, and that's after Goff's radio by rule goes out. So he, he was adjust, no longer yeah. able to have his hand held by Sean McVay. It yeah. was totally unexpected because the Rams and the Patriots were both kind of average defenses during the regular season last year, and then they got to the Super Bowl, and suddenly both defenses played phenomenally. So these defenses are actually a little bit better <laughs> than the defenses were last year, 
But I still think that offense will win out, that the offenses are better than the defense. I got one more. Is What's your favorite statistical way to quantify and predict how this 49ers pass rush, which has obviously been awesome when healthy this year, will do against the Kansas City offensive line with the great caveat there being that Patrick Mahomes can sometimes win even when the pass rush does beat the offensive line. Yeah, and I think they do have to worry about Mahomes scrambling. Um, here's an interesting thing. Based on a lot of the numbers, the San Francisco pass rush is not as impressive as you think it might be or not as productive as you might think it is. Uh, they were number one in adjusted sack rate, which is sacks per pass play adjusted for situation and opponent. But they were only 13th in pressure rate. But part of the reason they're only 13th in pressure rate is that they only sent four right. most of the time, yeah. right? Some of the teams that are ahead of them in pressure rate are teams that blitz a lot more, like the Baltimore Ravens, for example. So for sending four all the time, they've got a pretty good pressure rate. But it's not the league-leading pressure rate that you might think. And the fact is pressure rate is more predictive for the future than sack rate is. So I think that actually as good, they're good. Like, I'm not going to diss them, especially not Bosa after the year he had. But I actually think the San Francisco front four might be a little bit overrated in what advantage they might have over the Kansas City offensive line. Is that a question, though, of not all pressures are created equal? And I, I that's, know also it, that's also it. I mean, that's also true. Yeah, because the I know the 49ers have a huge emphasis on rushing as a unit with their new defensive line coach, Kasarek. And, you know, when they do get the pressure, it sounds like more often than not or at an above average rate, they do get the sack, right, if yes. that sack rate is higher. So I guess that's a good, another good philosophical question as, as these in, numbers get more advanced. In general, pressure rate is more predictive of sack rate in the future than sack rate in the past is. I interesting, interesting. But yeah. it's not, I mean, again, like I said, they're 13th, which to me is, it's not that they're not good. I mean, they are very good. It's just they're not like the best pass rush in the league the way I think they're sometimes advertised as, but given that they're only rushing four most of the time, being turned 13th in pressure rate is still pretty darn good. And that's going to be huge because the, the rushing four part, because that allows them to play the cover three they like to play, yeah. and the two worst games for the Chiefs offense this year, when I look at EPA per play, so uh, breaking away a little bit from DVOA, were but you end up the, with sim similar results. Similar results, yeah. And those were against the Chargers, right, who run the cover three that the, the, the 49ers run. Yes, the, um, the only game that Mahomes has been below replacement level by our numbers in his entire career was Week 17 against the Chargers. Wow. That was in Kansas City. That was in Kansas City, yes. And they won the game, so, you know, it all worked out in the end. But that was actually his worst game as a passing quarterback, at least, that he's had in his whole career. He, he, he's, that's the only game he's ever had below replacement level, which is, I mean, that's another reason why I think Kansas City in this game, I like them slightly a little bit more, is because Mahomes just doesn't have bad games. Yeah. Yeah. No, he doesn't, and that was interesting. Ben Baldwin sent me the graph of EPA per play. He, he likes to do the, the one where it shows you if the guy's above 50th or below 50th yeah. percentile, and Mahomes' floor was the 50th percentile, yeah. whereas the 49ers made some a lot of quarterbacks this year have literally their worst career game. Uh, Mahomes doesn't have games nearly as bad. He's average when he's bad, and uh, th that makes the Chiefs, I'm sure, sleep a lot better at night ahead of games like I, this. That's why I think if it's a San Francisco win, I think it's a high-scoring San Francisco win because I think for them to win, it's not they're not going to shut down Mahomes. What they need to do is outscore Mahomes. But I think 
that there's a good chance they can do it because their strengths just match up really well with what the weaknesses yeah. of the Kansas City defense are. Well, now we've officially chopped everything up to the point. To we, we had this discussion at dinner last night with a couple colleagues. We're standing there, we're talking, and then we realize that we've hit this impasse to where we just need the game to be played. We've carved up every single possible angle of this, but there's some questions that just can't be answered till Sunday, right? We Absolutely. prepared the dinner. We need to eat the dinner now. Yes. yes. Yeah, we have. I mean, you'll see. I mean, we'll see some scheme things. Of, well, you know, there'll be some questions just answered right away from the beginning of the game. Like, does each team go away from what they generally do schematically? But, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, here's another one. Uh, Sports Info Solutions charts the type of run play, right? So outside zone, that's San Francisco's favorite running play. Kansas City is below average against outside zone. Power is San Francisco's second favorite running play. Kansas City is below average against power. So like, even when you look at the specific types of running plays, the Kansas City run defense is lack. And that's, I think, where the 49ers need to base their success. And we'll probably see Jimmy Garoppolo throw a little bit more just because uh, my theory is that Kansas City has a little bit more time to prepare for the run and Green Bay just didn't look like a prepared opponent, and I think they've admitted as much after. They did this weird thing where they played their linebackers like seven yards back. Like, they they played all their – first of all, they, like, never went out of nickel because Green Bay almost never goes out of nickel. And then they played their linebackers really far back. So, like, Mostert was just getting all these yards before he even got to the second level. Wow. Like, the second level was farther back than the second level. Right. So yeah. it was an automatic five, and then whatever he gets on top of that. Yeah. And most of the time, it was a lot. Wow. Hey, uh, Aaron, tell us a little bit about football uh, outsiders. I know Niners fans have loved a lot of your work this year because the 49ers were historically good for a while there defensively. So they got hooked on it. They started asking me about it on Twitter, and I've started using your stuff a lot in my work. Uh, for the 49ers fans who either like your work or, or aren't familiar with it right now, uh, what would you like to say for them to, to visit your website and check some well, of it out? Well, it's advanced stats, and then we also consider it just the smartest way to talk about football, the smartest place to talk to other fans about football. Our comment threads tend to be pretty high quality. Uh, throughout the offseason, we'll have content on what each team needs to do in the offseason. We'll have some draft preparation. Uh, we do some uh, projections for certain positions based on college performance, and we have film study articles by Derek Klassen, who's actually a local with you guys. He's in Visalia. Well, that's my hometown, Visalia, California. That's where Derek Klassen lives. Are you yep. kidding me? Like nope. That's literally my hometown. That's our film guy. So he'll be doing. Our I got it. You got to connect me with him. Not, well, I will. Did he grow up? Did he grow up there? <laughs> I don't know where he grew up, but that's where he lives. What's now. he doing? If he didn't grow up there, I don't know what he's doing there now. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Visalia, California. That's awesome. My parents still live there. It's a town of about 140,000 people in, in Central California. Well, if you go on our site right now, you'll read his article about just how San Francisco whipped up on Green Bay and the weird, like, where Green Bay played their linebackers thing from the NFC Championship game. Wow. And then once we get to the offseason, he writes a futures column every week. So we, we're not just about the numbers. We do film breakdowns as well. And sometimes, like, we'll look at if a player does particularly well or particularly poorly in one of the statistical projection systems, He'll look at the film to try to figure out, like, are, are we missing something? What are we missing? And then as we get closer to the season, we're working on our book. We have a big book that comes out every year called The Football Outsiders Almanac. That previews the whole season. That comes out in July. We also have our big fantasy football projection system that's called the Kubiak Projection System, which I named before Gary Kubiak ever became a head coach in this league. Now it just confuses people, but... Uh, we do a whole, there's a whole thing where you can like uh, set up the rules for your league and our system and it'll tell you who to draft depending on the rules of your league. So that all goes up on our site in like July and August. Awesome. Well, Aaron Schatz, thank you so much. Everybody go check out footballoutsiders.com.
All right, Matt. How much did you learn out of that? Are you gonna Are you chat? gonna quiz me now? You said you didn't want a quiz, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll do a verbal one here. Oh, we'll be boy. credit no credit. Don't worry, we're not grading it A through F. But how much did you learn? Well, I learned I learned a lot. Um, the the big takeaway is that it's going to be a, a close game, which I think we all sort of uh, instinctually thought. Uh, after these two teams won their conference championships. The, the key for me is, is what Aaron was talking about as far as the, the, the two weaknesses of the teams. And, and that's going to be what Andy Reid keys in on and what uh, Kyle Shanahan keys on, in on. And the fact that the Chiefs don't have great linebackers, I, I, I just feel like Kyle Shanahan is going to feast on that. And that what the 49ers do well, running that outside zone, uh, you know, moving uh, receivers through the middle of the field, et cetera, et cetera, really kind of uh, meshes well for them with what the the Chiefs might do poorly. And I, I didn't I didn't feel as if the 49ers' weakness on defense, um, you know, Aaron was talking about giving up uh, the deep ball or yard, yards after the catch for receptions that are 15 yards or more. I, I just don't remember that being an issue for this team. Basically, what I'm saying is that I don't feel like the 49ers' defense, uh, defensive weaknesses are quite as um, big, expansive as the uh, as the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's where the margin and the gap in this game is. And he confirmed that, according to the rankings, that is in fact where it is. You you see the biggest gap there between 49ers' offense and Chiefs' defense, and ultimately, in you know my gut, that's what this game comes down to yeah we have two i think it's safe to say the 49ers have a great offense they're doing historic <laughs> things rushing the football they've got a great play caller and then they have jimmy garoppolo who's been sensational when counted on this year he really has he hasn't been counted on all that often but when he has been counted on this guy has gotten the job done i always go back to week 17 the, you know, at the place that has tripped up so many 49ers quarterbacks yeah. in the past. And I don't care if it's not the same Seattle defense. That place has a mystique, and it's a mystique the 49ers did not like until Week 17. Jimmy Garoppolo shows up in the second half with that crowd roaring at CenturyLink Field with everything on the line, with the Seahawks doing some selling out against the run, so he had a pass. He throws for almost 200 yards and no incompletions in the second half. Yeah. And, and that, that you know, this won't be as hostile of an environment. No. And this won't, I don't know, defensively, Seahawks, Chiefs, maybe the Seahawks are a little bit worse. But either way, he's already shown that he could beat a good defense. I mean, he did it in New Orleans, too, obviously. That was a better defense. So between those two, I think that they have the offense to, to win this game. Well, what did you make of what Aaron said about uh, the 49ers' pass rush? The pass rush... Uh, they don't get as much pressure because they're only rushing four, which is the 49ers' strength. I, I wonder whether that rushing four, playing devil's advocate, um, creates bigger uh, escape lanes for Patrick Mahomes, whether as, as long as he's uh, dodging one of those defenders, that buys him the extra time to use his big arm to find Tyreek Hill you know, 80 yards down the field or whatever well, it is. Well, that's the thing. If you, you blitz, if you send five, maybe even six, you better hit. Right. Because if he steps by the blitz, then he really has a lane to run. So I would argue that on average – you're giving up smaller lanes when you only rush four because then you have seven back, and seven back can much more closely watch 
any escape hatches. As far as the, the pressure numbers, I challenged Aaron a little bit on that. I think that's still something that's very, uh, you know, in an evolutionary stage in the advanced stats world. Because Chris Kosarek, and I've written about this this year, is all about effective pressure. And I think that just saying, oh, they have this pressure rate, I don't think that necessarily tells yeah. you how good a team is going to be at sacking the quarterback. And the 49ers, as Aaron pointed out, there's a massive discrepancy. They rank 13th in one and first in the other. And I don't think that's just some kind of mathematical anomaly. I think that's because Chris Kosarek is making sure his four guys rush in tandem and I think any eye test of this 49ers pass rush will confirm that it's special. Kacerik is a, a great point because he's got these guys rushing in a very choreographed way. That's how uh, D. Ford uh, put it to me the other day. He said that pass rushing was like an art form. It was like dance or music. It's all rehearsed and uh, everything is happening in rhythm and in sync. And uh, I think in this game, it's going to be paramount. I mean, it's, it's, uh, they've got to take away those rush lanes. They've been studying where Patrick Mahomes likes to go when he is pressured, and, and the trick is to kind of head him off at the pass. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it all boils down to really, not all of it boils down to, but that's, that's the key matchup of this game. Those four guys against uh, a very special passer in Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, you got that on one side, Niners offense against the Chiefs defense on the other side. The combination of those two is going to give you the game flow, and then the game flow is going to dictate who has the position of power. Now, the position of power doesn't necessarily always win because you can have fluke plays, turnovers, sure. those kind of things swing the balance. So those obviously always have to be either created or avoided depending on which side of the equation you're on. But you're right. When you talk about game flow, it's it's that 49ers trench unit, that pass rush against Mahomes, not only getting to him, but also, you know getting and taking him down when you get to him because – that's the the beauty of Mahomes, you know, and then for the 49ers, that's the nightmare of Mahomes is that you can have him wrapped up, yeah. two guys on him, bullet comes out sidearm, and defense is not ready on the on the second level to, to defend that. So uh, don't get me wrong, though. Jimmy Garoppolo has also done some impressive stuff when he's been under heavy duress this year, and I think that brings up the overarching theme. We shouldn't only be focusing on one quarterback, and I think we've done a good job focusing on both, but the majority of the media hasn't, oh, no. I'll, I'll say. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, I could be writing about MVPs, and I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes probably has the best chance of winning the Super Bowl MVP, but that's largely because <laughs> just uh, the, the whole media, which, which are the ones that vote on MVP, are just so swept up with him, They're too. so ready to vote for him for MVP. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah they want to vote for him for MVP, so it wouldn't take much for him to win that, but, but you're right. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has uh, done a great Houdini act himself this year. Um, you know, he, he showed that immediately when he came in in 2017, that five-game winning streak. It was just amazing how he was able to sense trouble and just had a real feel for it. And, and both of these guys have that, uh, have that knack. Um, I, I think we should point out that, you know, the 49ers' big four pass rushers might be as healthy as, as they've been since early September. And that's when uh, D. Ford started to run into his uh, his knee tendonitis issues, which eventually he uh, he suffered a hamstring strain, and you know spent most of November and December uh, laid up and got a little bit into the swing of things against the Vikings. Played a lot of snaps against the Green Bay Packers, and now has had two weeks. Uh, hasn't been mentioned very much on the injury report at all. Was full go 
on uh, on Friday, the last practice of the week. So those uh, those big four guys are, are probably as uh, you know as, as healthy as they've been all season, and, and that's uh, that's a big deal. They're they're fresh and they're healthy, and uh, that's uh, that's usually a, a a bad recipe for the opposing quarterback. Why don't we talk about our predictions? Yeah. I, I, we don't usually do this, but it's the Super Bowl, and I don't think that it would be uh, – I think we'd be remiss to I, not give our predicted scores, which you've already given on the yeah. athletics, so we got to talk about them here. I, I feel like uh, you and I are on the same page, though. It, it, we are. We, we don't have uh, too many differences in what, what we're thinking. What, what was your final score, 38-34? 49ers, 38, Chiefs, 34. Yeah. It's a game where the 49ers' defense does make the difference. I think Mahomes will get his. That's why they score 30-plus. But I think that the 49ers have built this defense for this moment. Kansas City passes over 70% of the time, and they will get that sack, that turnover. That, that pass rush is going to create enough critical stops, may only be two or three, to pave the way for Jimmy Garoppolo, who will then pave over the Chiefs defense. I think that the, the biggest advantage is Niners offense over Chiefs defense, so all the Niners defense has to give them is a couple stops. That's what happens. 38-34, people will vomit while watching this game. It's gonna be it's gonna be a nerve inducer. Yeah, I call it December Ajita. Uh, we'll, we'll be back to uh, the New Orleans, Baltimore Falcons, With Rams, more Seattle game. Uh, but you you just raised a really good point, uh, and uh, that's that in the off season, the 49ers revamped their their defense for to take on precisely this type of offense. Uh, they revamped their defense for a league that has become pass happy they've revamped it for the the outstanding quarterbacks and the quickness at receiver that we have now this is why they made all those changes this is why they they bulked up on defensive ends d ford and nick bosa this is why they hired chris kusarek uh all this stuff um you know it it all kind of comes down to this uh it was almost like they had a premonition that this uh this was going to be the final game of the season so i mean they're just uh there's a lot of poetry in this game We've been talking about it all week, and uh, you know, it, it sounds as if the 49ers are well prepared for precisely what the, the Chiefs are going to be presenting them. So, what's your score? Uh, you have it in front of you. <laughs> I can't remember. It's uh, might be 34-31. Yeah, yeah, it was. You told me last night. Yeah, yeah, 30, 34-31. So, I agree with you. I don't think that the 49ers are going to shut down Patrick Mahomes, but I think that they can trip him up enough to allow their very good offense to, to get out in front. And, and uh, that's how I see it going down. Make sure to check out all of our episodes of Here's the Catch because we interviewed Navarro Bowman on another one, and he thinks the 49ers are going to win, but the score that he predicts yeah, what did he say? might shock you. 20-7? to 7? Or 20-14. to 14. I'm not sure. Yeah, he, you know, he vacillated maybe a little garbage bit. Maybe a garbage time touchdown for uh, Kansas City might be the difference, but <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> he, sure, he thinks I'm, they're not going to score more than two touchdowns. Yeah, I'm sure if we had interviewed Steve Young, he would have said 42-41. So th- these guys are going uh, with who they are. He wants a defensive uh, yeah, game. Yeah, uh, Steve Young would say. 49-26. Hey, of course. Right. That's the score from 29, uh, 25 years ago. And some people, I've talked to a couple people that think that the 49ers, I agree with this, they think the 49ers are blowout proof, and they think, oh, maybe this will be a blowout. I don't agree because I think the Chiefs are blowout proof for the reasons that Aaron outlined. Mahomes has not had a bad game this year. His worst game has been 50th percentile. So 
I, I, I don't think that you can blow either of these teams out, so that 42-40 yeah. sounds more right uh, Houston to me. And, and the Titans uh, thought that they might have a blowout on their hands, and they were quickly disabused of that They uh, were that blown notion. out themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. But the 49ers are different. They're more complete than any team in the NFL, in my opinion. They are definitely more complete than any team the Chiefs have played to get to this point uh, this season. So it's going to be a new challenge for both of these squads because the 49ers also haven't faced a quarterback as talented as Patrick Mahomes. Russell Wilson, yeah, a little bit, but Mahomes is Wilson with a howitzer attached to his arm. So it's, uh, it's tougher, and the receivers are faster than Seattle's. And this will be epic on Sunday. Anyway, after the game, be sure to tune into the Here's the Catch podcast. Dennis Brown will be back with us. And uh, we'll probably, especially if the 49ers are able to pull this off, we'll be with you guys a lot early in the offseason to finish processing everything because uh, it'll probably come like a waterfall if this goes well for the 49ers on Sunday. Yeah, and we might have to do a, uh, a podcast from a parade route uh, in San Francisco. We could do it from my house. I'm right down the street from Is it uh, near the near the route? No. Are, you, oh, are yeah. you really? You're that close? Eight-minute walk. All right. Yeah. Everybody's invited to uh, David's for yeah. a live Hayes Valley. podcast. I live on Linden Street in Hayes Valley. I won't get my exact address, <laughs> but uh, actually I'm serious about that. If the 49ers have a parade next Wednesday, we uh, people let's meet up for drinks at a bar in my neighborhood after that's done. I don't think we have to write too much about a parade, right? I mean, Mo- I hope not. Mojitos are on us. Yeah, I think that'd be fun to meet up with some followers and listeners of the podcast uh, after the 49ers parade. They got to win, though. All right, I'm not counting my chickens before they hatch or whatever the saying is. First, they got to win, so we'll see if that happens. We're not doing it after a loss because there'd be no parade. Um, anyway, uh, for Dennis Brown, who's not here, thank you to him for uh, his work this season. Uh, we will talk to him after the Super Bowl on Sunday. For our producer, Tanika, thank you. And for Matt Barrows, um, thank you to all you guys for listening. This is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you next time on the Here's the Catch podcast.